Last words can be meaningful when people share what's on their hearts. And so we have these last words of Paul recorded almost 2,000 years ago, but I think they still have something for us to pay attention to today. So we're picking up the story. I'm going to go ahead and go back to verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, verse 18, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. And then start taking notes, verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, Paul just said an awful lot. We need to go back and unpack that again because Paul is encouraging them to follow his own example. And so what are some of the characteristics of Paul's ministry? Let's go back to verse 19. What's the first one? Serving the Lord with what? All humility. Humility seemed to be a theme of Paul's, by the way, if you have not noticed. Philippians 2, 3, Paul writes, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Doesn't come natural. It's not something that is just within us. But it's a gift that God gives to us. This lowliness of mind. To esteem others better than ourselves. And perhaps the first counsel he gives. Carry yourselves with all humility. Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. How important to be humble, to be meek. And you could say it's important always, but especially when you have a strong message to deliver. If you're able to deliver a strong message with humility, I would say there's a much greater chance that it will be accepted with humility and meekness, kindness and long-suffering. Ephesians 4, verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Again, this theme of humility. And so here in Paul's legacy that he is passing down, he says, serve the Lord with all humility. Don't think yourselves more highly than you ought, but be humble in how you relate to one another. Secondly, and this one will probably spend most of our time on, even though there's five here, but don't let that worry you. Secondly, here it says, hold nothing back. Do you see it there? Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials. You know, going back to the humility piece. Do you think that sometimes God allows tears and trials to keep us humble and dependent on him? To recognize our human frailty and our need and dependence on Jesus Christ? That's all humility. With many tears and trials which happened to me by the plight of the Jews. Verse 20. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. You know, he says something very similar in verse 23. He says, 
that chains and tribulations await me, talking about when he goes to Jerusalem. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He knows what's going to be ahead of him in Jerusalem. He knows even beyond that to Rome, because he's quoted that in, I think it's chapter 19, that he's going to go to both. Yet he says, none of these things are a concern for me. Why? Because I'm holding nothing back. I'm putting it all out there. Verse 31, he says, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years had I not ceased to warn everyone night and day with tears. Does that sound like he's just kind of, well, I'll put in a little time here and then I'm going to go fishing. I'll put in a little time there and then I'm going to go hit around the golf. I have nothing against fishing. I have nothing against golf. But here we have a man of God putting everything on the table. He's holding nothing back. Now, Pastor, you're saying we should be over the top, just run ourselves ragged and not prioritize family and our spouse. No, I'm not saying any of those things. But I am saying when it comes to spreading the gospel, don't hold anything back. Paul certainly didn't. Sometimes we're fearful to tell people the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. But whether it's our family, our children, our co-workers, we're really good at telling people what they want to hear. But most of the time we stop there. Why? Well, because there's things that are easy to share, and then there's those other things that are hard and uncomfortable to share. There are those things easy to say, and there's those things hard to say. There are those things that we know will bring about a favorable response. And then there are those things that we know probably will bring about an unfavorable response. And we don't like unfavorable responses. So we speak in niceties, in meaningless platitudes. We talk about the weather, what happened in the news, this or that. We don't get too political because that could go south too. So we just keep everything very light, very surface. And as a result, our conversation can be boring and have no depth. We only speak of pleasant and pleasing things. But you and I both know a true friend is someone with all humility will tell it to you straight. Why? Because you need to know. What did Paul say here? I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you. I think there are times that we need to know, that we deserve to know. And it's those close friends that know in the long run it will be beneficial to tell us. But I don't know about you, but I value those friendships. Those are the people. They don't just come along and blast me. They don't ignore Paul's first directive with all humility, but in love. They come alongside and they say something like, look, Dave, you know how much I care about you and how much I value your friendship or our friendship. And you're doing a lot of things well, but there's this one area that I keep noticing that has been a concern for me. And I've been praying about this. And I felt impressed that I needed to talk to you about it. That's a true friend. Holds nothing back. I mean, what can be said about the opposite? A friend that sees me headed in this wrong direction, sees me going towards destruction, but says, well, none of my business. Can't be bothered. They'll get upset at me. It's not my fault. I don't want to get involved. Never mind. No, that's not a true friend. But to share it, to talk straight can take some holy boldness. And all around you people may say, don't go there. They won't like it. They won't take it well. Just leave well enough alone. But folks, you can't keep silent because it's not in their best interest for you to keep silent. Paul didn't travel around on three missionary journeys to tell them nice things 
and empty platitudes. You're good, everything's fine, no worries, just keep doing what you're doing. No, everywhere Paul went, he stirred things up. And sometimes people got upset. Often he had to leave town and under the cover of darkness, sometimes be lowered off of walls in baskets, other times in boats, you name it. Time and again we see God preserving Paul from being put to death early by people. Is that to assume that Paul was arrogant, in your face, rude? No, not at all. But he presented the truth, the whole truth, in all humility, in love. It wasn't watered down. It was exactly what they needed to hear. No, the problem was some just didn't want to hear it. Yet by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul keeps going. He keeps preaching. He keeps teaching. He holds nothing back because God has laid a message on his heart and he desires to share it regardless regardless of the backlash that it may cause. Now we've seen in Athens, he tries to be sensitive. He tries to, to not overly agitate people, but he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to water it down. He's going to tell them the truth. And to do that, to know how far to go, to know how straight to talk. Folks, I submit we need to not only be filled with humility, but we need to be thick with the Almighty of God. People don't give you your marching orders. God does. We already read where he says, you know, people are telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. He says, nope, God has given me a directive to go. I know what awaits me there. But my life is nothing to me. I'm going to go. Paul got his directives from the Lord. And so Paul tells the elders of Ephesus, hold nothing back, guys. Verse 26, he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Just a little lower here in the passage. Why would Paul say, I'm innocent of the blood of all men? Simple. He didn't hold anything back. He told them in love and in humility the straight and honest truth. And then it was fully up to them to decide what they were going to do with that truth. Verse 27 of this passage, he says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. There's a lot of preachers and pastors out there that like to give part. There's a popular part. There's a soothing part. There's a comforting part. There's a compassionate part. And I'm not going to say that that's not part. It is. But is that the whole counsel of God? Is there some accountability? Is there some call to repentance, to reform, to change? There is. Why is this so important? Too often people perish for lack of knowledge. Verse 29, Paul says this in this passage, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. You know how wolves work? In packs. It's not just one animal that's bigger than you. It's a lot of animals. And when they work together... In force, they take down sometimes animals a lot larger than them. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. What will be the thing that will keep them from being deceived? The whole truth. The whole counsel of God. Telling it to them plainly, holding nothing back. And in fact, we see exactly that this is what happened in Europe. Deception did come in. People were caught off guard. Things changed very quickly. And Paul is saying to the church of Ephesus, hold nothing back. Give the whole truth with all humility. Verse 28 of this passage, Paul says further, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock 
among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd. The King James Version says in that word, it says, to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. As church leaders, as the spiritual leader in your home, as the one with spiritual influence at work, in the place of influence that the Holy Spirit has placed, give them spiritual nourishment. Hold nothing back. Why? Because Jesus held nothing back. He gave his all by the purchase of his own blood. Talk about skin in the game. Jesus held nothing back for you or for me. He gave of himself fully. And now he's asking us to hold nothing back, but to be crucified with Christ, that I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now live in me. So going back here to verse 20, but I kept back nothing that was helpful for, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Second Timothy four, verse two, Paul again admonishes Timothy in some other last words. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Basically, in his final words to Timothy, he says, Timothy, hold nothing back, preach the word. Jesus himself in Matthew 5, beginning verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven." Folks, Christians must permeate society as agents of redemption. Yet if we don't do this, the results may be as follows. This is taken from Christian Service, page 111. I heard someone say, We knew the judgments of God were coming upon the earth, but we did not know that they would come so soon, maybe so quickly, as Charles is pointing out. Others with agonizing voices said, You knew! Why then did you not tell us? We did not know! On every side, I heard similar words of reproach spoken. Friends, neighbors, colleagues, family members. You knew. We didn't know. Why didn't you tell us? Why did you hold back? So continuing with Paul's legacy. First, serve the Lord with all humility. Secondly, hold nothing back. And thirdly, be inclusive. Verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul preached to everyone. No one was left out. Paul saw his own special calling as being the apostle to the Gentiles, but he never abandoned the synagogue. Friends, there's no room for exclusivism in the gospel. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you study Galatians 3, this verse is in the context of salvation, and Jesus came for all, Jews and Gentiles alike. Who is too far gone that God cannot save? 
Don't categorize. Don't marginalize. Don't be exclusive. The gospel's for everyone. We all are sinners in need of a Savior. And Paul didn't play favorites. No, he ministered to everyone. Whatever their class or rank or gender or anything. He ministered to all. Fourthly, preach repentance. We see that there in the middle of verse 21. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God. You mean I'm supposed to go back to Ephesus and tell them to repent? I don't like telling people to repent. I imagine it wasn't in vogue then and it's not in vogue today. You don't hear the church say repent much anymore. Rather, it's all about love and acceptance. Now, I sit on the board of Coming Out Ministry, and this week uh, we were looking at a popular book promoting and being circulated with this idea that the church needs to change its stance on the LGBT plus community rather than ask the individual to accept or, or subject, I should say, their cherished opinions to God's word. I mean, that may require a change of heart and a change and shift of behavior. But we prefer the emphasis of love and acceptance to the exclusion of the need of repentance or submission or transformation of character. I don't like to admit that I'm wrong, that I've done something that needs to be corrected. I just like to be loved. I like to be accepted. I like to be told it's okay. Sometimes this verse is cited, John 8, verse 11. Neither do I condemn you. Remember this story? Woman caught in adultery. She was caught in the middle of a trap. The man that brought her that trap is probably around pointing his finger at her. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus says, as he writes their sins in the sand. I mean, these are words of great and incredible love and compassion. But it's not the whole verse. Then Jesus says, go and sin no more. So he commands no compromise or no accommodation for sin, but says, turn from your ways. Change your lifestyle. Repent. Make an about face. Friends, encountering Jesus has always demanded transformation of the life, the turning away from sin. Sin was not treated lightly by Jesus. But sinners were offered the opportunity and love and grace to have a new start in life. And so repentance is not a dirty word. It's simply the turning away from sin, those things that lead us unto death. I heard another preacher on our radio station this week say that temptation is death. We don't think about it in those terms, but essentially that's exactly what it is. Every time I'm tempted, I'm staring death in the face because the wages of sin is death. And so if I buck against repentance, I'm saying, I want to die. Doesn't make sense. And so Paul says in our passage, in verse 21, 
teach repentance towards God. And to continue on in the verse, he says, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Preach faith in Jesus Christ. Some are saying that we cannot overcome our sin. Maybe you've heard that. We're going to be slaves of our old sinful habits until Jesus comes. But friends, that's not the full gospel either. In the heart of the Christmas story, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people in their sins. Is that what it says? No, it says, from their sins. There's a difference. John chapter 1, verse 5, in the New International Version says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. To say, through the power of the living Christ and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we cannot overcome sin, is to say that sin is more powerful than Christ. But this verse tells me that the light of Jesus Christ was shown in the darkness, and the darkness, the devil himself, was not able to overcome this light. No, Christ is more powerful. Not just in his, uh, while we live here on this earth, but in Life as we ask him to change us from within. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God and have overcome them because because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you believe that verse? Do I believe that verse? If so, I can be an overcomer. Why? Because Jesus Christ who is living in me is greater than then my sin, then my evil propensities, then my, my corrupt thought patterns. He's greater than all of these things. And as I look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, he will bring me through. And so, yes, preach reprint, repentance, but preach faith in Jesus Christ to overcome your sins, to live a victorious life. Another verse, 1 John 5, verse 5. He who... Sorry, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Does it say, who is he who just kind of rolls over and says, well, nothing I can do. I have these evil propensities. I can't change. No. Who is he who overcomes he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, faith is the victory. We sing about it. We need to live it as well. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Some of you might be asking, well, that all sounds nice, but I know my own experience. I know how hard I've tried. I know how it just hasn't worked out that way for me. I love this precious little book. I hope it's in your library. If not, we want to help you add it to your library. Steps to Christ, page 47. So practical, so filled with Scripture. Says this, many are inquiring, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? 
good question, isn't it? How am I to make the surrender of myself to God? You desire to give yourself to Him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. Isn't that an amazing word picture? And I can so relate to what she's saying here. It says, you cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity. I've been there too. And cause you to feel that God cannot accept you. But don't stop there. But you need not despair. What you need to understand Are we listening? Is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man. The power of decision or of choice. Really the whole great controversy hinges on this power of decision. This power of choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Goes on, everything depends on the right action of the will or decision or choice. The power of choice God has given to men, it is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Folks, that's the practicality of it. Give him your will. You might say, well, I did that at baptism. That's wonderful. I did that a few years ago when somebody came to town. There's a big spiritual revival. That's great. I did that at some calls that Pastor Hyman made even just a few weeks ago. That's wonderful. But how about today? And today, and today, and today. That is ultimately where the battle is won or lost when we say, Jesus, I am struggling with this temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. But how did he overcome that temptation? It is written by the power of the word. And so you're in the midst of that temptation and you start claiming the promises of God and you submit, you give him your will and you say, Lord, I want... I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I desire, but I'm not fulfilling what I want to fulfill. Lord, I need you to do this. And often I think in my experience, God's sitting there thinking, I thought you weren't going to ask this time. I thought you were going to do it on your own. I'd love to help. Folks, the reality is we're no match for the powers of darkness, but the powers of darkness are no match for Jesus Christ. Put your will on the side of Christ. This is exactly what Jesus does in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup, let this temptation, let this horrible, hellish thing pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I'm making a choice, Jesus is saying. I'm putting my will on the side of my heavenly Father. 
Philippians 4, 12 and 13, again the words of Paul. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's the one that's going to have to do it. He's going to have to bring it to pass. But he's not going to barge in. The God and, and Jesus, the whole Godhead, they're all gentlemen. They don't barge down the, the front door. They wait to be invited in. And so we need to give them full access, not yesterday, but today. And today, and today. Friends, faith is the victory. Romans 8, verse 7, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Doesn't say through me and my willpower. Doesn't say through gritting my teeth. No, we're more than conquerors through him, Jesus Christ, who loved us. So what does Paul submit to them? Serve the Lord with all humility. Hold nothing back. Be inclusive. Preach repentance. And preach faith in Jesus Christ. And then verse 32, there's other things that he said along similar lines. We can't unpack it all, but he says in verse 32, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There it is again. And Paul gives a few more words, which again you'll have to read on your own, but verse 36 to the end, it says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And they all wept freely. Were they convicted? And fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that he would see, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. They took every moment. Paul held nothing back. They took every moment. And now your ship is leaving, Paul. We've got to go. We've got to have prayer. And so they kneel down with tears and with weeping. And then they head back. The 30-some-odd miles to Ephesus. But I imagine they went back different than the way that they came. They went back contemplating the words that he shared. And with this desire now, or, or this, this, this charge, if you will, that, that we can't count on Paul, he's not going to be back. It's us. That's it. If we don't do it, who else? If we don't go, who's going to go? If we don't speak, who will speak? If we don't care for, if we don't give them the charge and the, the call, if we don't preach it to them straight, if we don't put everything out there and hold nothing back, who will do it? We've got to go. Maybe they banded together. Maybe they said, we're going to keep each other accountable. Maybe they came up with a game plan after some time in prayer. I don't know, but I imagine they went back different than the way they came. Friends, the times are coming and are even here in a sense, in a very real sense, when the minister of the gospel will not be able to do the work. 
In fact, even now, our influence has been significantly hampered. Yet opportunities abound. The question's simple. What are you doing with those opportunities? Today marks the second Sabbath of May. And my father and mother-in-law were supposed to be in PNG, which is Papua New Guinea. Why? Well, in Papua New Guinea, for the last several years, they have been laying the foundation, if you will, for TMI. stands for Total Member Involvement. Every member of the church doing something for Jesus, whether it's going door-to-door, passing out literature, giving health lectures, exercise classes, cooking classes, giving Bible studies. And all of this was leading towards some big events. One of them was going to be a big health expo that was supposed to take place just a few weeks ago with hundreds of doctors and physicians and nurses from around the world treating thousands of people, all free of charge. Everything from family practice to cataract surgery. And then last weekend and this weekend, we're going to start preaching. Evangelists were going to come in from all over. There are going to be some local evangelists, but there are going to be people from the GC and, and various divisions all over the place. And they were going to preach powerfully in these multiple sites as this has been building and building and building. And the hope was that there would be perhaps, by God's grace, maybe 200,000 baptisms as a result of this initiative, by God's grace. And then COVID-19 put this entire planet on a very different trajectory. The borders of Papua New Guinea, like many other places around the world, closed. None of the guest speakers or evangelists, pastors, presenters, doctors, physicians, dentists, nurses, none of them could come in. All large gatherings were banned. Sound familiar? Empty church? But rather than just give up and just announced, and just announced, it's canceled. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. It's out of our hands. The lay people chose to move forward. Similar to the elders, perhaps, of this church. Right as we are at the cusp of starting this series, we'd already, we are right at that point where we could still bring some money back from the, the, the flyers that we were going to print and so on. And, and we were going to still send them out with a link to the live stream address and so on. And the elders said unanimously, no, we're going to move forward. We're going to do this anyway. We're going to go via live stream. And that's what the people in PNG decided. We're going to go forward. Men and women, young and old, chose to move ahead on their own with their own small groups of 20 or less to carry out the meetings on their own, to provide as much health service as they could on their own in preaching the gospel. And by God's grace, I think it's very possible we still may see 100,000 baptisms because of their efforts. We don't know. We'll see what this will look like, but there's an energy, there's a fervor there to spread the gospel, to hold nothing back. They're taking God's final commission very seriously, and I believe in all humility. Not only are they not holding anything back, but they are being inclusive of all that desire to hear and to learn. They're preaching a gospel of repentance and also of faith of Jesus to overcome and be victorious in Christ. 
And I believe God's going to bless their efforts. And the question that's simple that I want to ask this morning is, how about us? How about me? How about you? Is ministry on hold until COVID-19 is over? Or do we see the opportunities all around us? And our neighbors that are so desperate to talk to anyone that's breathing. What an opportunity to go make friends. To show them that we are are God-fearing Christians. That we are upstanding citizens. That we are nice. That we're friendly. That we can make good chocolate chip cookies. Took some to our neighbors. She said, I didn't know Seventh-day Adventists have chocolate chip cookies. I said, oh, we do. And then present them with something else. As the Holy Spirit opens doors, share with them truth-filled literature that God can take and use to change their lives. Friends, Jesus held nothing back, but gave of himself fully for you and for me. And with the purchase of his blood, he sends us on our charge today. The question is, will you give your all to him? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I feel the need to make a call this morning. Wherever people are, wherever they're watching, wherever they're tuning in, Lord, I believe that your Holy Spirit has convicted hearts this morning across this county, across this country that we need to do more. Perhaps we found ourselves on a spiritual siesta. Perhaps we've fallen asleep. Perhaps we feel like until this ban is lifted, there's little that we can do. Lord, forgive us Help us to push forward with all humility, to hold nothing back, to be inclusive, and to preach a gospel, to share a gospel of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, that is our prayer. And if we desire to do that, if we desire to ask this week, each and every day, Lord, how can I do that in my setting? We're not talking about the masses. We're talking about the individuals that are still within our sphere of influence. A neighbor, a relative, someone online, whatever it might be, a phone call. But Lord, we want to commit by raising our hands just now and saying, Lord, I want to make it a matter of prayer. How can I put more on the altar for you? Show us, Lord that we may bring honor and glory to you in these times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.